looked at some of those already. They're the Hallelujah Psalms. Um, and we're also looking at Psalms of Thanksgiving and Psalms of Remembrance, like we're doing uh, today. Uh, actually, last week, uh, Kyle uh, did Psalm 135, uh, which was a, a praise psalm. Uh, and today we're doing Psalm 136, which is more of a psalm of remembrance, uh, remembering God's, God's mercy and goodness so that we can praise him. Next Sunday is Psalm 137. So we've done 135, 136, 137. I'm going I'm to uh, dare you. <laughs> I'm going to dare you to read Psalm 137 this week and try to make sense of it. It's really dark. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat. It, it, um, it's going to shock you because you're going to go, I didn't know this was in the Psalms. If, um, maybe you do, um, but most people don't realize there's that kind of darkness in the Psalms. And it's really healthy that, it, that we see that and that we address it because we have got to figure out what to do with the darkness in our hearts. It's there. We don't always recognize it. Uh, and when we do, it scares us. It shocks us. We don't know where to go. Uh, and the Bible and the gospel is inviting us, go to Jesus Uh, Go to the Lord with all of the stuff, all the the confusion, dark things, uh, confusing things that are going on in our hearts. Uh, This morning, uh, what we are going to be doing is is being reminded to remember, let's let's just put it that way, from Psalm 136. uh, It is a psalm that is incredibly repetitive, as as Karen mentioned at the beginning. Uh, The refrain, for his steadfast love endures forever, is repeated 26 times. In every verse of of this psalm, uh, I'm going to open us with just the first three verses, so please stand in honor of God's word as I read Psalm 136, verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let me pray. Indeed, Lord, your steadfast love never ends, it never fails, um, and it is beyond our comprehension and understanding. Um, And so we just pray that you would help us to enter a little further in and help us to appreciate uh, with larger hearts and expanded minds of how faithful you are. And may our faithfulness and our love for you in return grow all the same. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, What you notice here as as we begin in verses 1 through 3 is the identity of the Lord. Um, So in verse 1, Lord is capitalized. Um, You you probably uh, are aware that that is a a way that the translators reflect a, a specific name of God, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, as opposed to a more generic name for God. Um, so he's the covenant God. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords uh, are several of the ways that he's introduced to us uh, in, in Psalm 136. And now what we're going to do is look at how he is further described as the creator God, uh, and then the deliverer God, and the defender God, and the God who remembers. So, so let's break those down uh, for starters. Look at verses 4 through 9, and we hear about him 
who alone does great wonders. He alone is the creator. There's no other creator, there's no other God who does what he does, uh, who by understanding, by wisdom made the heavens, uh, who spread out the earth above the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Um, and on and on and on, right? You see that repeated. Um, this is the God who, because of his steadfast love, because of his faithful love, because of his merciful love, created all things. Do you remember that? Is creation a part of your uh, ongoing daily discipleship, your, your consciousness and your awareness? Um, and this is an important question. Not because, uh, as is often the case, and I think this is kind of sad, actually, uh, when Christians think about creation, it's not uncommon for the immediate context for that conversation or for that thought to, to, to wrap around uh, the creation debate. Uh, how long did creation take? And Christians kind of go toe-to-toe and they spar about, well, was it six literal 24-hour days? Or was it um, ages that are called days? Uh, was it a framework, kind of a poetical um, structure for uh, how we read Genesis 1 and 2? And Bible-believing Christians can have differences of opinion that they derive from Scripture. Um, the important thing in that debate, by the way, is that your position comes based on the authority of God's Word, not because you're trying to just pigeonhole you know, God's word into what you think is the absolute, um, you know, scientific perspective. That said, most Christians, when they think about creation, that's what comes to mind, the creation debate. How long did creation take? And trying to size each other up based on, you know, their position. That's sad to me. That's sad because that's not why Genesis 1 and 2 are there to test your, you know, Bible knowledge and, you know, how orthodox you are. Genesis 1 and 2 are there to remind us that God is a creator. He created you. And for his old covenant people, their story, their identity did not begin at, you know, when they were born. And, oh, by the way, a funny story about when mom and dad, you know, were on the way to the hospital or whatever. No. Their sense of self, their identity as individuals, corporately, their identity as a nation went all the way back beyond to when they were delivered uh, from Egypt. We'll get to that in a second, but it went all the way back to creation, that they were created. God created them intentionally, and, and he did it on purpose, just like, just like us. When, when you create something, when you make something, you always have a reason for what you make. Uh, maybe you bake a cake. Maybe, maybe you're making a cake. Um, and uh, there's a purpose behind that cake. It's a, for, to celebrate a birthday, uh, to celebrate an anniversary, or just you know, to create something to bring uh, to a, a dinner or whatever, something fun. Um, I remember this, this commercial. It was a, a dishwashing uh, machine, and maybe it was Maytag or Samsung or whatever, but the commercial was this woman, and she's baking this cake, uh, and it's a really delicious cake, and she's, it's chocolate, I think it was, but I remember the icing was pink, and it was just beautifully decorated, and the whole commercial is watching her make this cake, right? And then the commercial ends with her taking that plate with the beautiful cake on it and literally, like, almost throwing it into the dishwasher. Cake included. Just the cake, you know, just falls off the plate, 
piles into the bottom of the dishwasher. She shuts the dishwashing door, presses start. And the caption is, not that you would, but you could. That's how good our dishwashers are, right? I mean, that's kind of a dumb reason to make a cake, but all right, let's just assume that is a reason why you'd want to make a cake. I want to, I want to see if that commercial is true. I'm going to test my dishwasher. I'm going to bake a cake. I'm going to throw the whole cake in the dishwasher and just see. You would still be baking that cake for a purpose. It's not random. You don't just throw it away to throw it away. You and I don't make stuff without some thought for why am I doing this. God doesn't make us without a purpose. Without a thought for why is he making you? Why is he making me? Why has he made you? Have you ever thought of that? Does your story, does your view of yourself, does your identity begin at creation or have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the one who created all things because his love endures forever? Um, you remember the purpose-driven life, Rick Warren? Uh, maybe it's been a while since you've heard of that title or read that book, but he says this, um, and when we were on vacation last Sunday, we were in the, stopped in this church on the way home, and this is one of their meditations in their bulletin. By the way, scary how similar their worship service was to us. Uh, it was really weird. But anyway, uh, this was, I'm just copying and pasting this from their bulletin last week, but they had this uh, meditation from Rick Warren. You didn't create yourself, right? You didn't create yourself. So there is no way you can tell yourself what you were created for. That comes from outside of us. Why did God make you? You know, the, the children's catechism asks the question this way. Why did God make you in all things? Anybody know the answer? For his own glory. God created me in all things for his own glory. Well, how do you glorify God? The answer, by loving him and obeying his commands. I was created for a purpose. And you were created for a purpose. Your purpose and my purpose is to glorify God. For my life and your life to effectively be a spotlight that shines the light on the steadfast love of the Lord, the goodness of God who made us and takes care of us. That means I love him. That means I obey him. That means I follow him. That means I show the world through every thought, word, and action. You know, this is the, this is the goal. This is, this is what I'm aspiring to, that my life would be a demonstration and a reflection of how good he is. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. And we do that uniquely with the gifts that God's given us, our own personalities and so on, but our, our, our purpose is the same. We're all cakes that he baked for a purpose. If you don't know how to work that out, um, talk to me after the service. Let's, let's, let's answer the question, well, how do I glorify God? How do I do that personally? I, I, in theory, maybe you know the words, but what does that look like concretely? Um, Psalm 136 is here to remind us that God made you. He made you for a reason. And it's, and it's his steadfast love behind his purposes to make you. Therefore, how do you respond to that? Well, we learn that God is not only uh, the covenant God and the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the creator of all things, the only creator, but we also learn in Psalm 136, verses 10 through 16, we get this view into how he's also the deliverer. He's the savior, he's the redeemer, he's the rescuer. And so you get this account of Israel from when they were in Egypt, right? And in verse 10, it says to him, 
who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. And with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, uh, he divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea to him who led his people through the wilderness. Literally, he shook off Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. You ever have a... uh, the tablecloth or whatever, you've cleared the plates, there's crumbs all over it, so you gather up the four corners of the tablecloth, you take it outside, and you just shriek it off. That's what God did to Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea. Just shook them off. So we'll get to some of the complexities behind that. Like There are some, there are some questions about, God, you, you killed the firstborn of Egypt. What's, what's that about? Um, hit the pause button on that. That's valid. You should ask that. But for, for here, what you need to pay attention to is God's people were helpless. They had zero power. They could not deliver themselves. They were in um, chattel slavery under Egypt, under the cruel whip of their taskmaster, and they were miserable. They were crying out to God, crying out for deliverance, recognizing their desperation and their helplessness, and they knew that their help had to come from outside them and not from within them. And what we read in Exodus 2 is uh, this, this account of the steadfast love of the Lord responding to their bondage and it says, during those, days, many, uh, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God, God heard, he remembered, he saw, and he knew. And he acted. And he delivered them with an outstretched arm. And he shook off their enemies, uh, their captors, as easily as you and I would shake off the crumbs from dinner. Do you remember your deliverance? This is Israel's story. This is the story of God's people. Is this your story? Do you remember your deliverance? Can you remember a time, can you remember, um, and, and let, me, um, let me recognize two groups of Christians um, in, in this room. There are some of you who you remember the day, the hour, the minute, you know, uh, when you were converted, uh, when you prayed that prayer or when God's love just blew you away. And it was like that. It was an instantaneous conversion. You went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, like somebody flipping a five kilowatt you know, switch or something like that. And, and you can remember that day and that hour. And I'm calling you, I'm asking you, don't forget, don't forget that day. Don't forget that moment. There's another group of Christians who, all right, there's no seminal defining, you know, BC, AD moment in your life, but... Um, we, we know that a sunrise and a sunset, they, they have a, a time, you know, our, our weather apps will tell us what time the sun rises, what time it sets, but if you go and look at the horizon, you can't really, oh, well, see, it just, pop, 
popped up. You, know, you just know, all right, well, it used to be night, and now it's day, so the sun rose, I see it's light, and that's the way your conversion goes. Nonetheless, nonetheless, <laughs> no heart is so sanctified from childhood that you cannot recall or that you um, would not be aware of that plea, that cry, that helpless cry, God, deliver me. Show me Jesus so that you can remember, all right, maybe I've been a Christian all my life, but there was some moment where you knew and you determined, I, I have got to turn from this old way of living and begin following a, a new Lord, a new Savior. Sometimes that happens when you're really young. Sometimes it happens in your teens. Sometimes it waits until you're, you're older. But the call from Psalm 136 is to remember God, your deliverer. And if you can't remember that, then I really, I feel like I'm, I would not be pastoring you well if I did not ask you this question. If you can't remember God's deliverance, is it possible you haven't truly called on him? Is it possible you haven't recognized your own bondage to the way that the world infects our hearts, the way that it gets into our bloodstream, and we don't even recognize the filth that we're swimming in like fish in a really, really dirty fish tank? Is that possible? You've been assuming all your life you're good with God. Yeah, I know about Jesus and I know about the cross, but you've never actually understood that he went to that cross for my sins, that the love of God that we talk about comes to us with blood on it. And that blood is for you. If, if you haven't called on him, um, you probably won't. You know, you're not going to repent. You're not going to turn from that until the pain, the pain of living with your sin outweighs the pain, the burden, the inconvenience, the trouble of turning from your sin. And until you recognize I am a sinner and I cannot live with this anymore, I need a rescuer, I need a deliverer, um, the gospel's not going to make sense to you. But until you and, and pray that all of us can remember our desperation, our helplessness, our powerlessness, unless Jesus delivers me. And this part of Psalm 136 isn't your story. And I want it to be your story. And today, today it can be your story. Call on the one who laid down his life so that you can have life, who himself was put in bonds so that you can be free of your bonds. That becomes part of our story. Uh, next group of verses, 17 to 22, um, we've looked at the covenant God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the creator, the deliverer. He's also our defender. The one who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, uh, Sihon, God, uh, king of the Am Amorites, uh, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. God is our defender and we need to remember that, uh, that his steadfast love is what is behind his defending us and leading us. So the story of God's people from the Old Testament, right, they're helpless in Egypt. They, can, they cannot accomplish their own deliverance, and God delivers them from Pharaoh. 
And then he calls them to, into the wilderness, and he calls them to follow him. And by the way, there's this land that he's giving them, uh, Canaan, and, and it's their inheritance, and he's their father, and Israel is his son, and the father is giving a blessing and a gift to his son, and they're to go in and obey their father to go in and, and take this land from the inhabitants, to partner with God, right? They're active now. They can't sit back and just wait for God to hand them uh, the promised land. They have to obey and go in themselves and trust that God is with them. This is a picture of sanctification for us. And, all right, so the last section about, you know, he slew, slew the firstborn, and here you've got God killing kings, that should raise some eyebrows. If it doesn't raise your eyebrows, you're not paying attention. What is going on with that? Why is that okay? Um, we don't have the time to go into a whole defense of this, but let me, let me give you this construct, this paradigm to think about this. What if you, um, you had it on your heart to bless your only child? You have only one child. You want to bless your child. And you especially want to bless your child uh, when he or she gets married. You want to set um, them up uh, in their new household so that they won't have worldly cares. They'll be fine, and they're going to be able to start their new family. And, you know, you just want to bless them. And you have it on your heart. I have a house. I have property for them, and it is ready and ready to go. And the wedding day comes, and you, you know, remember the end of Big Fat Greek Wedding? Here's the deed to the house. You give them the house. But you arrive at the house, and guess who's there? Well, you don't know who they are because they're trespassing, because they've taken uh, you know, uh, up residence in your property. They didn't notify you. They don't pay rent. What are you going to do? You're wanting to give that property to your son or to your daughter. I know exactly what you're going to do. You're going to call 911. You're going to call the cops. You're going to have these people evicted. They are not rightfully here. This isn't their property, and they need to get out. That, like, all right, I know, that, I know there's war, and I know there's killing kings and stuff, but look at this as an eviction notice. These people are trespassing. God is removing the trespassers to give the gift, the rightful gift, to his, his son, Israel, to his children. And you and I, um, in that same vein, it's, it's actually scary. You're not going to like this at first, but it's going to make sense, the correlation between uh, death and, you know, holy war in the Old Testament. There's a sense in which that, that sentiment doesn't stop, but it's radically shifted and radically changed to become uh, spiritual warfare. Because in Colossians 3, this is the partnership and the sanctifying work that we do with God who calls us, who's our defender, but he calls us to go with him to evict the trespassers. And in Colossians 3, we read, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whatever is still trespassing in your heart, the remnants of the world and the kingdom of darkness that are still there, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put them to death, therefore. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do you get it? Like Those are the things that are still trespassing in our own hearts. 
And when we pray, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking the Lord, use me, sovereignly work, but also I want to be an answer to this prayer. Incorporate me, enlist me in your purposes to rid the world of that which trespasses against you, especially the things that are in me. And then uh, we also pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, um, you know, here as it is in heaven. And that means enlist me, let me be a part of your work to remove the trespassers in your good creation. To be a part, to have a place in the story of God's evicting hunger, orphans, homelessness, injustice, racism, um, uh, abuse, uh, you know, anything that you look at, I mean, it's, it's, there's a pile of full backpacks in the foyer. That is a picture of what we're talking about. Blessing foster kids in our community, being a part of the solution to seeing the curse pushed back, God's trespass, those things that are trespassing on God's good creation evicted, to bring blessing and to push back the curse. And guess what? The saying is true. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And if all it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. So we can't be passive. Justification, yes, you're helpless. God has to save you. Sanctification, you and I are called to partner with God. And we can't be passive. And if we're going to have our place in the story of Psalm 136, we have to be active in this. Psalm 136 ends with this call to thanksgiving. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. If you're wondering, hey, is this my mail or somebody else's 3,000 years ago? Verses 23 and 24, us, right? He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven. So the psalm wraps up with that reminder of what's implied all along. Give thanks to the one whose love endures forever. Are you aware? Do you remember your low estate? Are you conscious of his rescue, of his deliverance and his defense? Do you, I mean, even... It, it may sound like a formality. It may seem sort of like old school, but even just that simple act of praying and giving thanks before your meal, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're out to eat, whether you're with your roommate or at school or wherever, you are a testimony to everybody around you that your help comes from the Lord giving thanks to the one, the God of heaven, whose steadfast love endures forever. Um, Thanksgiving is a really important part of the Christian life, and our fathers and mothers in the faith for a long time have pointed to uh, the, the source of our obedience and the source of our uh, discipleship being a heart full of thanksgiving, and I get that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that in, here for a little bit. And I want to make a, a confession, <laughs> uh, true confession time. For as long as I can remember, I've struggled. It's been a chore to simply write a thank you note. Whether it's a birthday present or a Christmas present, I can still to this day remember my dad being on me to write my, my thank you notes, which is a good thing to do. You should do that. I should do that. You should do that. 
But don't get the impression that the motivation for the Christian life is some obligatory thank you note to God. Check the box, all right, thanks God. And, and somehow, you know, that's going to give you the power, me the power to say no to sin and yes to God, yes to Jesus, and to follow him through adversity and trials and hard things. You know, a, a, an obligatory thank you note, that's not enough. What, what's going on here is something far more profound. It's, it's the, the thanksgiving for God's love that is expressed through our own love in response to God. Paul puts like this in Ephesians 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We are loved by his steadfast love and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So your thanksgiving, my thanksgiving, it's much more than just a, a little thank you note. It's a life of love in response to the one who loved us first. Uh, there's a special word for his steadfast love that's used throughout the psalm. 26 times you come across in, in the Hebrew the word hesed. And it's translated different times because there's no real you know, encompassing English equivalent. So uh, ESV, I, I like this, uh, this expression, steadfast love. It kind of gets at the, the, the expansive nature of it. It's bigger than just love. Uh, NIV just uses love. Uh, the New American Standard will call it loving kindness. KJV uh, will use mercy. Uh, and so it's, it's a big word and encompasses a lot. It's actually, um, it's a word for faithfulness. It's a word to describe something that doesn't stop, that doesn't give up, that isn't compromised, isn't corrupted, and it is pure, and it is beautiful, and it is good. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. Uh, chesed is the root word uh, for where uh, maybe you've heard of the different denominations within Judaism. Uh, there's Reformed Judaism and Orthodox Judaism, and in Orthodox Judaism there is Hasidic Judaism. And these are the, these are the people, um, you know, they wear all black, the men have the caps, they've got the curly ringlets uh, for their sideburns, and, um, and like the individual, the rabbi you see on the cover of your bulletin, uh, they will wear phylacteries. These are the uh, prayer boxes. See that thing, that square box on, on the forehead of this rabbi? Inside that box are verses uh, from the Bible, from the Old Testament. Uh, where we are reminded to not let this word depart uh, from you. You know, write, write my words upon your hearts. Uh, bind them on your foreheads. So literally, they're, they're taking God's word uh, literally, binding his word on their foreheads. Uh, the phylactery would also be on the arm, and when you, you know, pray, the arm, the box would be over the heart, etc., because God's, we're not supposed to forget God's word. So this... This phylactery, this box on the forehead, is, is an old school way of, hey, don't forget. We've got different ways of reminding ourselves, hey, I don't want to forget, you know, whatever it is I was supposed to remember by tying the string on my finger. And we wrap, put, you know, rubber bands on our wrists, and then we, you know, decorate them with sayings, hey, you know, watch for God, or whatever um, your, your band says. Or we, we'll put reminders and alerts on our phones so we don't forget. We're not supposed to forget. If we forget, we're not, we're doomed to be, to be ignorant of Deuteronomy 6, where it says, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why is it so important 
that we remember him who remembers us. Some of you have firsthand experience of watching uh, a loved one succumb to Alzheimer's. Some of us could succumb to Alzheimer's. When Alzheimer's sets in, uh, and the person becomes disoriented, and they're aware that they're not aware, they're remembering that they're forgetting, um, lots of emotions start to rise to the surface. There's panic, uh, there's fear, there's disorientation. This, the first benchmark, I mean, there's lots of benchmarks, but a serious benchmark is the day that they forget the name of their loved one. Can you imagine the terror of realizing I can't remember the name of my spouse, the name of my kids, the name of extended family? And then there's the confusion, the, the chaos, and, and, and the, the anger over I can't make sense out of the end of the day today anymore. Uh, there's sadness, there's depression. All these things play out when people forget. Why does God want us to remember 26 times in as many verses the steadfastness of his love for us? Because you and I are subject to spiritual Alzheimer's. And we go whole days forgetting the name of Jesus. We forget to pray. We forget to read the Bible. We're not even thinking about him. And and what ends up happening is, is we, we forget his name and then we get sad. We get upset. Uh, we start looking around us uh, and, and we see the chaos around us. And, and we get depressed and we get anxious and we get fearful because why? Well, we're forgetting the creator. He's in charge. He made everything good. And despite the chaos, I can trust that he created all things. He's in charge of all things. He's governing all things. And so when we remember, that's our cure for that moment, that episode of spiritual Alzheimer's. Other things happen too. We get mad uh, when people sin against us. Somebody does something, they say something, and maybe it's intentional, maybe it's unintentional. It doesn't matter. All we know is we're mad, and we get angry, and we get upset, and we fight back. Because why? Well, we forget. We forget our deliverer. We forget the one who loved us who showed his steadfast love to us, not because he was the true faithful Jewish man, the true Hasidic Jew, and the true, you know, having the prayer box on his head. No, he himself was attached to a cross to remind us and to show us so that we would never forget the height and the width and the depth and the length of God's love for us, which tells us, what am I thinking? getting so upset at somebody sinning against me and forgetting, forgetting that my sin before a holy God is far, far more offensive to him than somebody's sin against me. And when we find that getting disproportionate, that's the indicator, I've forgotten the gospel. We forget, too, when we look around and people aren't getting on board our, our agendas and they're not doing what we want them to do, and we get irritated with them. We get depressed. We get sad and mad and all that because why? Well, we're forgetting again. I'm not here to be the center of anybody's universe. 
God's at the center of the universe, and I'm to be on board to his agenda. I want his kingdom to come, not my kingdom. I want his will to be done, not my will. And so therefore, somebody's not on board my agenda, I need to get on board Christ's agenda. Serve, love, be patient, be kind, be compassionate. Right? Does that make sense? The good news is that God never gets Alzheimer's. <laughs> he never forgets. He's faithful, he's loving, he's compassionate, and he will always be loving toward those who come to him. He will always take back those who repent and turn from our fits of spiritual Alzheimer's. And he will always forgive those who look to Jesus and trust in him. Um, prayerfully, I'm, you know, I don't think I'm the only one in this room who hopes that there will be a cure for Alzheimer's as we know it, you know, even in our lifetime. What I can promise you is that there is a cure for Alzheimer's. When you and I go to glory, there will, that will be the day when there will be no more forgetfulness in our minds and our hearts. We will spend an eternity with a clear vision of who God is, his loving kindness that lasts forever. And as you know, one of the old saints used to say, eternity will be little enough. It won't be long enough to praise him. That's what we have to look forward to. An eternity of never forgetting. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for loving us, for your steadfast love, which just is, can't, can't run out. Um, it's inexhaustible. And it's directed toward us. And we thank you for such a great gift. Uh, it's not because of anything we've done to earn it or deserve it, but surely because of your grace and who you are as a loving God. You've forgiven us because of Jesus. Uh, Father, for any here who are um, still trying to connect those dots, still asking questions about the gospel and who Jesus is and how we can know you and what it means to follow you, what, what that's going to cost to follow you, Lord, would you give them grace to say yes to you, to make Psalm 136 their story and not just somebody else's. Uh, Lord, for all of us, though, we pray, uh, help us not forget Help us to remember. Help us to remember not to forget. Uh, and Lord, may we give you glory. May our lives, our words, and our actions, um, and uh, the thoughts in our minds and our hearts, Lord, may all these things be a way for you to get glory as we show the world your goodness and as we bring more and more of your blessing to come. In Jesus' name.